Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Well, hello. It's Ayers on the Road. We are so glad you joined us again today. You're so, you're so cheerful always, Linda. I wish you were always that cheerful just talking to me. Well, <laughs> You are. You are, really. You are. <laughs> um, I just, we had a fun meeting with some people this week who said they're actually listening <laughs> to the show. We're so delighted that there's somebody beyond the screen of the computer. So thanks for joining us. Do you love podcasts as much as we do? Boy, we spend... Do we spend too much time on podcasts? I don't know, listening to them? No, but it, it I, is... I do on the sports ones, probably. Yes, yes, you do way too much on the sports one. And it is fun if I don't have a book to plug in a podcast while I'm running around in the car. Um, and sometimes I'm running more than others. But it is really nice to um, just listen to what people think and, and get some new ideas. Okay, so here's how we're going to start today, Linda. I like to surprise Linda a little. I've got a little surprise for her today. Let's play word association just for a minute. And if you're listening, join in with us. When I say the word family, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Family. Kids. Kids, okay. Um, what else? Family. Uh, joy. Okay, now again, I'll, I'll play word associated. What's the most important thing? If I say the most important thing, you will probably say? Love. <laughs> I thought you'd say you family. You something in mind. <laughs> oh, I thought you were saying the most important thing about family. Oh, okay, okay. we were still on family. Well, what we know from public opinion polls and so on is that when, when people are asked on a, on a survey what's the most important thing, the biggest answer is always family. So now move from there and, and we say, now when you say family or when you say family's most important, but then when you start getting into family and you say marriage and parenting, then what do you say? I mean, what comes to mind when someone says marriage and parenting? Hopefully, joy comes to mind and happiness and so on. Uh, trouble also. Exactly. The most prominent word association, when you get it down to the brass tacks of marriage and family, people say hard, difficult, trouble, worry, worry, all those kind of things. And so... Um, what we want to try to do today is just suggest that we all need help. <laughs> There's no one out there who will say, I don't think, unless they're mentally ill, <laughs> when they won't say when they think of family, uh, got it, all fine, <laughs> everything good, I'm on top of it, um, just where I want to be, perfect. Right, there's <laughs> not much of that going through anybody's mind. And so, once you uh, get to that point where we all agree that we need help, um, where do we go for the help for our parenting? Well, we, we go online, we, uh, for, or for our marriage, we go to a relationship coach, maybe, we go to a book, we find an expert, we, we look for people who've had experience, we maybe try to find a mentor. Where do you think most people go for help? Uh, counselors, a lot, a lot of people are in counseling, especially uh, through this pandemic. I think um, 
counselors have have made a good living through through this because everybody is yeah, concerned. Maybe may the one profession that's done well. Right. Um, so just keep thinking about that for a minute if you're listening. Where do you go for help when you are overwhelmed, when you are in trouble, when your relationship is not going well, when one of your children is acting out, when you've got things that are just weighing down on you and your family. And on the one hand, going back to, you know, it's the most important thing. We, we get great joy from it, but, but it's hard. It's trouble. It's never-ending pressure in some ways. Well, Where do you go? I, I, I think if you say the word higher than a counselor, uh, that that gives you a clue. Yeah. <laughs> you need something more than just what somebody else thinks, you know? You need somebody that knows the situation and really knows what's going on. So that leads us to... God. To God and to prayer. Now, again, I don't have survey data on this one, but I I assume, I could probably look this up and I probably should have before the show, but I assume that if you were to do a poll on what people pray about most... I'm sure they pray about their health. I'm sure they pray about the world. I'm sure they pray about all kinds of concerns they have. But I would guess that family would be the top thing. We pray for our kids. We pray for our marriages. We we pray for our relatives. We pray for those we love. And that centers on family. So think about that, Linda. We're praying. We're trying to find this help we need. How does God help us? We're going to suggest to you something today that maybe will be a new thought in some ways, because in a way it's a new thought to us, and here it is, and then I'll just throw it out there and let, let Linda comment on it. When we need help from a higher source, when we need divine help, when we need something beyond ourselves and beyond other humans, and we pray to God, that's one way to get help from a higher source. Prayer and an answer to prayer. Prayer and some kind of guidance comes to you. But what if another way of getting help in parenting was by the example of God himself? What if God is the ultimate example of parenting? What if God is a heavenly father and a heavenly mother what if the main source of help, other than prayer, is by by seeing and viewing and having the perspective of God himself and herself as parents? Yep, that changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. It changes the way you think about your problems, the way you think about how you might receive answers. Um, it really changes everything. Now, depending on your faith, uh, you as a listener, and and your faith tradition and your beliefs, there could be a lot of different reactions to what we're saying now. Again, we always, we, we never, we understand that there are people of a lot of different faiths that listen to this podcast and Virtually all of you know that our religion is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But we know there are other Christians. We know there are people who are non-Christians but who believe in God. But I think think it's probably fair to say, Linda, that 
this idea of sort of help from a higher source in our families is a, is something we all relate to, and the real question is how do we perceive the God that we believe in? If we perceive Him as a sovereign God, as a king, as a dictator, as a sometimes vindictive God, and, and some people do, and some scriptures seem to indicate that then that's that's one paradigm that's one way to look at things right right but then the other side of that is when we pray are we thinking not about a vindictive god but a loving forgiving god an understanding god mystical god a benevolent god and also an unknowable god um how does that work in our brains yeah, and and then when we have a breakthrough and we and, and think how everything changes when we say no, none of those descriptions of the of of God work for my faith. What works is a parental God. Then everything changes because now we're viewing Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. We'll get into that in, later in the show. But, I mean, it connects, right? There, There is no father without a mother, biologically, and, right. and, and we believe spiritually. And so um, once we shift to that kind of thinking, now how does everything change? Now we're thinking of God as someone who really is our parent or our parents. That changes how we pray. That changes what we can ask for. That changes the fact that we now can conceive of him loving us unconditionally no matter what we do no matter how bad we are no matter how many mistakes we make right right exactly um it really is so interesting to contemplate that not just us but people all over the world do contemplate both a male and female deity um we got into um indian rugs at one point in our life (laughs) <laughs> and, Where are you um, going with this? <laughs> over our bed um, in another place that we own, we have a beautiful rug that has a depiction of two... Oh, Navajo beings. rugs. We're talking about Navajo, Navajo rugs. rugs. Yeah, yeah, not from India. Right, right, right. It could right, go right. either way, but yes, Navajo rugs. It's simply amazing how they make these. But whoever made that rug had definitely had a belief in a father and a mother because it's just two beings, and they're kind of geometric beings. But no, I wouldn't have thought of that. It's interesting, Linda. Father Sky and Mother Earth. Mother Earth and Father Sky is the name of the rug, yeah. Right. So it really is interesting that everybody kind of has a feeling that there are two beings there. And um, I hadn't thought of that either. We've had that rug for 20 years, probably. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about it since we've been contemplating this father and mother um, parental God. Well, and tying in with that, Linda, is this yearning. Everyone, everyone we know who we've ever had this discussion with will admit there's a kind of a yearning within us for something deeper, something higher. And, and we connect that. To family, another way to look at it is when you when you uh, there are studies done on on orphans or on children who are adopted or on children who never knew their father or whatever, and it's almost universal 
that they have a yearning to to seek out and find out who their real parent is, who their and part of that's natural, right? They want to know their genes. Sure, they yeah. want to know what they inherited. They want to meet the person that procreated them and so on. But it's something deeper than that. C.S. Lewis defined it as a yearning. He would feel it for some reason when he when he heard Wagner, this, this sweeping sort of Ooh, me too. feeling of something more, yearning, trying to find who we really are, who we really connect to. And that's what leads many people to God. And I think the response to those feelings are that God is a parental God. Now, now, not many religions teach that literally, but but we do refer to God. Almost all Christians refer to God as Father. Um, uh, Catholics also, sort of in a way, worship Mary. They probably that's probably wrong to say worship, but but there's this draw. There's this pulling toward a divine father and a divine mother a divine feminine we feel both that's why you mentioned mother mother earth there's something powerful about the metaphor of of the earth nurturing us and and the feminine god manifesting herself through nature right right i i definitely feel that there's a a feminine influence of course you know the father is involved in that as well but just the pure beauty of what we've experienced with spring this year. Yeah, Maybe it's been yeah. more magnificent than ever because we had such a bleak winter. Right, right. Um, not that much snow where we are, but with the pandemic. It really has been so joyful that you see. I mean, it touches your soul. There is no way you can stand by a beautiful brook and not be touched. We're going to take a break. This is a little different today on Ayers on the Road. We're, we're, it's a heavy subject, but I think it's so powerful, and we're going to pull it back, as we always do, to our own marriages, our own parenting, how we deal with our own children. So stay with us, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And we're back talking about something a little different today, um, but so fascinating. And something we're so enamored with it may go on for weeks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It is something we all need to to think about more, I think. Um, We've all been thinking a lot during this pandemic, and we've come out with this, um, these thoughts. Richard's doing a series in Meridian Magazine, if any of you are interested in that, um, or know how to get get contacted. Uh, it really, just meridianmagazine.com, it is really an interesting series. We're calling it The Parental God, and we're exploring the ramifications, I guess is the right word. We're exploring how how as we intensify and specify that the God we believe in is a parental God, how does that change us? How does that change our parenting? How does that change our marriages? How does that change our perspective? How does it change our paradigm? Let's think about the word paradigm for a minute, Linda. It's a a beautiful word that I've always loved. Paradigm means your worldview, how you frame the world, the framework in which you see things. And I love the thought of paradigm shifts. 
So when you think about the greatest paradigm shifts that you can think of, Linda, in the world, um, what comes to mind? What kind of paradigm shifts come to mind? Um, Maybe the world is round rather than flat, for example. Um, What other thoughts come to mind? What's a big paradigm shift? Well, we, I think we all have paradigm shifts, and, and we are where we are right now because we've changed our mind about something. Um, sometimes it has to do with a child, how we respond to a child. I need to shift my paradigm yeah, yeah, and yeah. look at the child differently because I, I love this child, but it's driving me crazy, and I've got to change my paradigm. Yeah, and I love that you said that because the, the most profound paradigm shifts are are the personal ones where we change our mind about a person or about our children or about our marriage. But I want you to think for a minute, you listeners, about great, big, huge paradigm shifts like, you know, the the shift from, um, you know, people used to believe the sun revolved around the earth, right? And, and think how when Copernicus came along and said, no, 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 the the the, the uh, earth goes around the sun and he was thought of as a heretic and and you know but it but it was true and it changed the world um the the shift from um you realize that people used to think that disease was caused uh, the main theory was bad air or night air if you breathe that air at night you're going to get ill you're going to get sick before louis pasteur and others discovered germs and suddenly uh, there was this huge paradigm shift or the shift from the idea that man could never fly that was that was blown up and the paradigm shift that occurred when the Wright brothers flew a plane at Kitty Hawk. I mean... Well, and sometimes paradigm shifts can be really damaging. When I remember our oldest daughter went uh, as a missionary to Bulgaria and the sweet little women that she was working with at one point thought that they shouldn't drink water because water was really bad for you. It would really make you fat. Oh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. know, they just really, really <clears throat> believed that. And then I'm sure they've changed their mind by now, but it really is interesting. So what, false paradigms are so damaging. Yes, and <clears throat> in that case, can you imagine that? Um, a mother not giving her child water ever because she's afraid the child would get fat. <laughs> anyway, um, I see what you're saying. So, I'm, so what we're suggesting... <clears throat> is that the biggest paradigm shift imaginable is the paradigm shift to the idea of a parental God. God not as an all-powerful king, although he is, of course, or, or a dictator or well, a sovereign. Well, vindictive or uh, anything like that. I, I really have changed, my paradigm has changed so much as we've been thinking about this because I am starting to think of God. When I say God... I think of both the masculine and feminine. Um, it's not like we're praying to the feminine or we're you know, doing anything like that. It's just that we think of them as one because that's what they are about. And, and thinking about how that impacts our actual life in our families, in our work, in our right. communities. It's just it's so powerful. For example, if you... And, and I think it's in two stages, Linda. And you're jumping to the second one, which is important, the, the one that's probably the most fascinating to people. But think of the first phase as believing that God is a parental God. And then 
adding on to that the the natural sequence that if he if he really is then it's not just a he it's a he and a she because that's what parents are and the he and the she are each important but the they that with a capital t the divine they that's the thing to focus on if we want an example for our own families and every person on this planet of every race and every culture and every clime is literally not figuratively but literally your sibling and suddenly tolerance changes and prejudice changes mm-hmm. and all these things happen because we literally are a family if, if we believe in god as a parental god we are literally their family with a capital t their family and think how that changes how we view everyone else around us. Yes, and if God is perfect, then we realize that He really, they really do love us, and that they're going to forgive us. They're, they're not going to be you know, angry. They just love us. They just want us to succeed. They want any to. They want to help in any way they can to help us succeed, even when we do really bad, dastardly, nasty things. They still love us. Perfectly said, Linda. So guilt begins to dispel, and encouragement takes its place. Not that we, not that we shouldn't feel remorse when we do bad things, but the negative aspect of guilt from a vindictive God or a punishing God goes away, and the, the love of a parental God encourages us to do better and to change, right? right. So it changes how we view ourselves. I think so often we drown in guilt. <laughs> we just, um, I stress over things that I should have done. I should have thought of this. Why didn't I do this way? Why did I do this that, that way? And it is not helpful. Yeah, it's just not. <laughs> it is not. And if we realize that God is there to forgive us and say, go, let's go on. Let's, you know, go forward you you know do what you can to make amends but i'm not going to hold this again against you yeah um, exactly you are the one that, that is the problem and and think how that starts affecting your parent your parenting okay if god treats me that way and will forgive me and will encourage me and will you know um help me along that's how I should be with my own children. That's how I should. And, and instantly, think of the paradigm shift in looking at our own children. We've met people we've spoken to all over the world who are like, they really, they really pers- their, their paradigm is that they own their children. I created my children. My sperm and your egg created this child, and this child belongs to us, and we can treat him as a possession. I mean, they may not say that verbally, but that's sort of their, their paradigm. And, and think how that changes when we say, no, no, wait, wait, we're all children of God, the parental God. So these little babies we have or these little children are literally our brothers and sisters. We happen to come for our turn on earth before they did, but it could have been reversed. They could be our parents. And suddenly a paradigm of respect for these children, a paradigm of trust, a paradigm of wow, a brother or sister as a baby entrusted to my care as a parent, a parent who wants to mirror or emulate God's parenting. Right. And I think I really have changed my paradigm. And I, there's a, so much to talk about with this because when you read the Old Testament, um, it does sound like 
that God is pretty vindictive and so on. And that reflects the the nature of the people it, who wrote it. Really, it. we have uh, we have. I really believe that that the people, the time they were living, the things they experienced, it had to come through in the thing the way they saw the world. But um, I just I, I, this has really been a paradigm shift for me. Well, and I think another way to look at it, Linda, we, we have a favorite phrase that was um, Oliver Wendell Holmes once said. It's intriguing to me endlessly. He said, I would not give a fig for the simplicity that lies on this side of complexity, but I would give my right arm for the simplicity that lies beyond complexity. In other words, he didn't want any oversimplification or any little formulaic ideas. He 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 thought they were inferior to complexity, but he thought if you could get through and assimilate complexity and come out on the other side with a truth, a simple truth that captured everything, then that was beautiful. And I think we live in this world where there's all kinds of simplicity on this side of complexity, like the five keys to good parenting or the the ten rules for a happy marriage and so on. And there, there's good stuff in those. We've read but in, a few But in a way, we're criticizing ourselves here a little. But they're oversimplifications, right? Parenting and marriage is hugely complex. But what is the simplicity that lies on the other side of that complexity? I think it is the fact that God is a parent. That is such a powerful belief that it it cuts through everything else and we say well if he's really a parent and if there's a she parent too and we're their children suddenly we can do this we can do this we need their help but we can do it and we can see things as they really are including our own children and our own marriage and in that reality that spiritual reality we can begin to make real progress right this has become such a huge topic in our church right now. Um, we were just talking with our daughters last night and saying, you know, the Catholics do, they do worship Mary. They feel such a closeness to her. And in a way that solves their need that for is, it, a divine yes, feminine, Yes, I it think. does. And Mary was divine in, in her own right. But... I think that this is a little different way to think about it, and it is so comforting. Um, our kids have been talking about this for a long time. S- several uh, started several years ago um, when they begin their prayers. Uh, several, uh, one family particularly, always begins with God in heaven. Dear God in heaven. Dear God in heaven. But uh, God in their minds, meaning a heavenly parent. Two heavenly parents, a heavenly mother and a heavenly father. As one. As one, yeah. yeah. The and they, the divine they. It just changes the way they are their thinking. And I think it's a paradigm shift that we all have to decide whether we're going to make or not. Right. Um, it, But it really does change everything. Well, and you you were kind enough to mention earlier, Linda, we're, we're actually going to parallel this uh, this podcast each week for the next several weeks with a written article that we're doing in Meridian Magazine. Now, some of you are familiar with Meridian. Uh, the easiest way to find it is just go online and, and type in Meridian Magazine, and it will bring you to the front page. And on the front page, it's a daily online magazine, and on the front page is a search bar, 
And if you put in Iyer, just E-Y-R-E, our last name, it'll actually take you to another search page. You have to type it in again. You have to type in Iyer twice. But then it'll bring you to the most recent article. And, and that this first article is on just what we're, it's up now, and it's on what we're talking about today, how the idea of a parental God as Heavenly Mother and Heavenly Father changes perspective, changes paradigm, changes parenting, changes our marriage, change what we're looking for, changes the kind of help we seek in prayer. And it's a really powerful thing. So we invite all of you, and we'll continue on this theme and get even more into the divine masculine and feminine next week. But in the meantime, you know, it's it's one thing to hear a podcast. It's something else to read it. So take a look at Meridian Magazine and we'll tie the two together. So we've given you something to think about this week. We hope you'll join us again next time on Iris on the Road. Bye till then. Bye.